Open your Bible, if you will, to Matthew 2. Matthew 2. The first 12 verses of Matthew's Gospel read this way in the New American Standard Bible. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was, has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And a star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. It is only the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew that record events around the birth and infancy of Christ. Luke 2 verses 1 through 7 tells us that Joseph and Mary had been living in Nazareth. But they went to Bethlehem because of a census in the days of Caesar Augustus. Notice that the Bible story, particularly the Gospel of Luke, is careful to place the story of Jesus in history. In the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree went forth that all the world should be taxed. And Joseph and Mary, being of the line of David, go to the city of Bethlehem. As they go to Bethlehem, it's time for her to give birth. She gives birth to her firstborn son. She wraps him in cloths, lays him in a manger. All of that recorded in Luke. And this in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Matthew places this in light of what's going on in Palestine. 
The book of Luke places it in light of what's going on in the bigger land, the countries, as Rome, the Roman emperor is mentioned. But it was the days of Herod the king. I want you to notice that Herod is specifically called king here in verse 1 and in verse 3. And that is not without purpose. Herod the king and Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, sometimes in the Bible, that word magi is used negatively. For example, there's a related term that's used to describe in Acts 8, verse 9, and Acts 8, verse 11, how Simon the sorcerer was doing magic and bewitching the people. And then in Acts 13, Elymas is called the magician. Sometimes this word is used negatively. But these magi from the east have seen his star. And they come to Jerusalem to ask this question. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? If these men were from Babylon, do you recognize this journey they been? 900 miles. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? We see his star. And we have come to worship him. Herod hears this. And he's troubled. He's troubled in a couple of ways. First of all, He's troubled because he doesn't like any rival. Ask his family. He killed three of his sons and his favorite wife. And I would hate to have not been his favorite wife. Because he believes that they were threats to his throne. And he hears that there is... One born king of the Jews, Herod has manipulated his position. He has gotten his position by by the power of the sword and by political maneuvering. And now there is one who is born king of the Jews. Herod is troubled. But all Jerusalem is troubled. Maybe Jerusalem doesn't want... The results of a civil war for the throne. Maybe that's what they're troubled by. But in some ways, the beginning of this book foreshadows the end of the book. And the Jesus whose birth is announced here, the king of the Jews, and Jerusalem is troubled, will later be rejected by Jerusalem. At the end of the book. Well... Herod hears this, that the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Well, he gathers together the chief priests and the scribes, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Notice the shift between verse 2 and verse 4. They stated the king of the Jews. Herod defines this as the Messiah. Where is the Messiah to be born? He is right in that. He's accurate. But he calls the Sanhedrin, with whom he did not have good relationships, 
And he calls them and he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. One of the things that is very fascinating to me is it seems like there are many aspects in which the enemies of Jesus and the followers of Jesus read the Scripture in the same way. They read the Scripture the same way. The way that these religious leaders answer this question is exactly why. And it is exactly the thing that the Bible would say. That the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. And they give book, chapter, and verse. They give Micah 5, 2 as evidence that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, another passage that I would encourage you to, to make a note of, write in your Bible, or, or circle this in your cross-reference, uh, but John 7, verses 40 through 42. John 7, verses 40 through 42. It says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Now listen to this. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? It was common knowledge in John 7, 40-42, that the Messiah would be a descendant of David and the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That was common knowledge. And a matter of fact, in this passage, some are rejecting the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Because they think he is from Galilee. After all, he is called Jesus of Nazareth. But he's not called Jesus of Nazareth because he was born there. He is called Jesus of Nazareth because he was largely raised there. Matthew and Luke make it very clear that he was born in Bethlehem. But in Bethlehem of Judea, that is the place where the Messiah was to be born. Now, I ask you, look back at your Bibles in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler... Keep your finger there or a marker there in some ways. And let me ask you to turn to these words in Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. Listen to these words. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. 
Did you notice the difference? Did you notice the difference? In Micah 5, 2, it speaks of Bethlehem as too little to be among the clans of Judah. Do you realize what an insignificant place Bethlehem was? Do you remember Joshua after the people conquered the land? And at the end of the book of Joshua, one of those sections of the Bible that's not as easy to read, the Bible talks about all the various cities that belong to all the various tribes. The section that is described the longest, that the tribe whose allotment is described in the fullest fashion is the tribe of Judah. In Joshua 15, there are full 63 verses devoted to all the cities that come from Judah. Now, if you want to take me up on this, do this. Read that. Tell me if you see the name Bethlehem. Yes. Cities are described, Judah's cities are described most thoroughly. And yet Bethlehem does not even merit a mention among the cities of Judah. It is an insignificant place. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. But did you notice when Matthew quotes it, that's not exactly what he says. When Matthew pictures the Sanhedrin quoting it, the chief priests and scribes quoting it, they don't say that you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. It says you are by no means pleased among the leaders of Judah. How do you explain too little to be among them to by no means least? You explain the difference by this prophecy itself. Because this prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This city, this town has been transformed and now it is no longer too little to be among the clans. Now it is by no means the least among the leaders of Judah. So Herod has gone to the religious leaders and he said, where's the Messiah to be born? He gets the information. Then he goes secretly. And by the way, that word secretly, same word used about how Joseph went and divorced Mary in 119. He goes secretly to the wise men or the magi and he says, I want you to to show me where he is or tell me exactly where he is. I want you to tell me the exact time of the star because I too want to find him and search for him. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he says, when you find him, you report it to me. And they come to the place where Jesus is. It says, after they heard the king, they went and the star which had been in the east went before them and it came over the place where the child was. And they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly when they find the child Jesus. You will find rejoicing exceedingly at the end of the book 
when we get to Matthew 28 at the sound of the resurrection, the, the word of the resurrection of Jesus. But he says, after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Notice Joseph doesn't even get a mention here. It is the child and his mother Mary. And each time they are mentioned, and they will be mentioned quite frequently in this section from 2.11 to the end of chapter 2, the child is always mentioned first. He is the important character here. And they fell to the ground. And they worshipped him. They don't worship her. They worship Him. And they present gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, the word worship appears more frequently in Matthew than in Mark and Luke combined. Constantly. In these Gospels, in this Gospel, people will be falling down before Jesus, worshipping Him. The Magi are warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, and they leave by their own country. I thank you for bearing with me patiently as we explain the text. Jesse is going to come and set up our visual aid. As he is doing that, let me ask you to look back down at the text and let's read it again. Matthew 2, beginning with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and had come to worship him. When Harry the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground. They worshipped him. And opening their gifts, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country and went by another way. Now, 
several points that we want to make from this particular text. But one of them, first of all, I want you to see just all of the Old Testament passages here and echoes of Old Testament passages that Jesus fulfills. We have already talked about Micah 5 and verse 2. So we've already talked about that reference from the book of Micah. We won't mention that. But there are others that come to play in this story. Maybe you remember this story. There was a queen who lived far away who had heard great reports of a king of Israel. And when she came from far away, she tested him with hard questions. As she observes everything about his palace, she says, she said, when I was in my own country and I heard the reports of all the great things that you've done, that, that I didn't believe them, but I come here and now I see that the half was not told. And she presents Solomon, the king of Israel, with gold, And great many spices. That's in 1 Kings chapter 10. About verses 1 through 12. Do you remember what Matthew 12, 41 and 42 said? The queen of south will arise against this generation in judgment. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And one greater than Solomon is here. As great as Solomon was, as breathtaking as it was for her to see him in all his glory. Greater than Solomon is here. All that God promised to David and his descendants was not fulfilled through Solomon. It awaits a greater fulfillment in Jesus, our Lord. Also, at the end of verse 6, there is a reference to 2 Samuel 5 and verse 2. Where the Bible says, for out of you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In 2 Samuel 5, 2, that is exactly what David is said to do, to shepherd my people Israel. And through this gospel of Matthew, we will often see Jesus depicted as shepherds, as a shepherd in Matthew 9, verse 36, he sees the people who are as sheep without a shepherd, for example. And he will care for them and guide them. You also see references uh, to Jesus uh, as a shepherd uh, throughout other places. In Matthew 26, in verse 31, as an example. Let me read a couple of Old Testament passages with you. I encourage you to write these down, to think about them, and just see if you think they have anything to do with this particular passage. In Psalm 72, 
And I apologize if my writing is not very good. Psalm 72, that should be an 8, verses 8 through 11. And this talks about a king. This is one of the two Psalms attributed to Solomon. Now listen to these words. May he rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. Let the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. And let all kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. That was said of Israel's king. Listen to some of these words from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will appear unto you. Listen to verses 5 and 6. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice, because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All these from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Now, we could go further than this. And I imagine some of you recognize other passages that are used here. By pointing all that the prophets have said is coming to its fulfillment in Him. Its culmination in Him. But I'll tell you another kind of point here. I think we are led to see a contrast. Between two kings. Herod is referred to as king in verse 1 and verse 3. And Jesus is referred to in verse 2 as king of the Jews. Now, the more you think about this, the more profound this contrast becomes. We stated earlier, and we know this from Josephus. A lot of the things we know about Herod's life are from Jewish historian Josephus. He became jealous, thinking. That his children were going to take his throne. His wife was going to take his throne. He has them killed. He has his wife killed. And his three sons killed. What's he going to What's he going to care about killing a common person? Who has no ties to That is the nature of Herod. And though 
It is more tame than that. Usually in our culture. And it's usually the nature of earthly kings and rulers. They are about themselves. But not the one who's king of the Jews. Herod wanted to hold on to power at all costs. Jesus gave up the glories of heaven to come and live on the earth and be homeless. Herod kills three sons and a wife to secure his throne. Jesus is subjected to hatred, hostility, beatings, and murder in its most horrible form. As Daniel said earlier, he paid for our redemption not with money, but with blood. How different. Can we trust that King Jesus has our best interest at heart? Can we trust that? Could you trust that with Herod? Of course not. Could you trust that with Jesus? Now, I admit what I'm about to do gets a little bit into the next lesson. But I want you to look at verse 16. Matthew 2, verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which had been determined by the Magi. When Herod had been tricked, he is outraged. And he determines he's going to kill all the male children two years and under in Bethlehem. Now, that word trick that's used there is 13 times in the New Testament. 11 of those times. 11 of those times that it's used, it is used to talk about the mockery that Jesus endured in his crucifixion. You see, when Herod is tricked, when Herod is mocked, Herod kills. When Jesus is mocked, he dies. He dies for our sin. Now, which of these kings would you vote for? Which of these kings would you follow? Which of these kings will you surrender to? You can follow the way of simply asserting your power and your privilege. Or you can follow one who gave up everything for you. And while there's a contrast here between the kings, there's also a contrast in responses to Jesus. On 
one hand, we see Herod. Herod does not want any rivals for the throne. He doesn't want any competition. And he's going to try to liquidate any competition. That's one response. But I'll tell you something else that's striking Is in verse 4, the text mentions the chief priests and the scribes. Now, I grant it that their response is not quite as violent as Herod's is. He asked the chief priests and the scribes, where is the Messiah to be born? And I want to tell you something. They could quote scripture like that. They could quote that script. They knew exactly the right text to use. Micah 5.2. They combined it with 2 Samuel 5.2 and the promises of David. They knew that book. Doesn't it seem like if people had made a journey 900 miles by foot to see this child, that some of these chief priests and scribes might be interested in seeing their long-awaited Messiah. They opened the book. They read the book. They handled the book. But it didn't lead them to seek the God who revealed Himself in the book. And our purpose is study is that we would seek Him and know Him. Take a concordance sometime and see the times the chief priests and scribes are mentioned together. And they will regularly appear together in plotting Jesus' destruction. So you have Herod, the political power, wanting to crush Jesus. You have the chief priests and scribes. At this point, they're not interested. But later, Jesus is going to become a threat to their power. And then you have the Magi. Now, we've already pointed out that that word is not even used always positively in the New Testament. And it's not always used positively in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 18, this is one of the practices prohibited to Israel. And this is one of the reasons the Canaanites were driven out of the land. Now, it is used sometimes positively in Scripture. For example, the word is used to describe Daniel when he was among the wise men of Babylon. But Magi were not a group that was respected among the early Christians and the, and the Jews of this particular time. And yet these men who are Gentiles, they're seeking. They're seeking. Does it amaze you sometimes those who seek Jesus and those who don't? word marvel is used in some translation to talk about the response to miracles. For example, when Jesus wakes up in the midst of a storm and says, be still. The disciples 
Why? They're obeyed. Who is this? That the winds and waves obey him. That word is often used to describe the response to the miracles of Jesus. But you know, two times it's used to describe a response by Jesus himself to something. And you know what Jesus marvels at? He marvels at faith in the strangest places and unbelief among those who know him best. In Mark 6 verse 6, one of the two times Jesus is said to marvel, he marvels because he's rejected by his hometown synagogue at Nazareth. He, it says in the New American Standard, he wondered at their unbelief. He was marveled. He was stunned, marveled at their unbelief. Jesus could not believe. I'm not trying to deal with his omniscience here. I'm speaking as well as I can to explain this word. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. But there was another time. When a person sent some Jewish leaders to him. He said, Lord, there's a centurion. And he has a servant who's very sick. And we think you should heal him. As Jesus walked on the way with them, the man sent out other representatives and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority. And I know I can just say to this one, do this. And to this one, do that. And they do it. And I know you can just speak the word and your servant will be healed. And Jesus in Matthew 8 and verse 10 marveled. Because he had not found such great faith in Israel. This is a Gentile centurion. And he has faith that the Jews did. Jesus marvels at a lack of faith among those among whom you would most expect faith. And at faith. Among those whom you would least expect it. I want to tell you. All your life. Will come down to your response to Jesus. where your whole destiny depends on. It's the most important thing in your life. Where do you fall in that picture? Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we are not worthy of such a king as you and your son Jesus. A king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. We are not worthy. And we stand in awe of such a king. Lord, forgive us 
if we have been in the seats of the chief priests and scribes, quick to know the answer, but slow to seek your face. Help us, O God, to be like the Magi who come looking for the one that you have installed as king. O Lord, may you use these words of this text to turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. What will you do with Jesus? The question comes to you. And you must give an answer for something you must do. This king came not to be served, but to serve. This king was mocked and murdered on the cross. He did it for your salvation, for my salvation. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe it, will you submit to this King, Jesus, as we stand and sing?